Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant. It's great to have you here with us today. Really do appreciate you hanging out with us. Really does mean a lot. We got a great show for you today. They're all great. They're like little kids, and you can't pick a favorite. You like them all. But today's is good, like the rest of them are. So today we are joined by my friend Whitney English. Whitney is uh, someone who's a uh, she's just a creative entrepreneur. And you know, one of the requests I get from a lot of people is, why don't you have more girls on the show? Why don't you have more females, more women, more ladies on the show? And I actually, uh, as many of you may know, I have three daughters myself. They're young. They're uh, nine, six, and four at the the time of this recording. So I want women entrepreneurs. I want women business owners. I want women employees who are doing work that they love on the show. So as always, if you've got someone in mind that you think would be a good fit, let me know. Email me, grantograntbalden.com. But today we've got Whitney English, who's a, uh, a super cool gal who's got her hand in a couple different businesses, who's done some cool stuff, and excited to share her story and journey with you today. Also, make sure that you stick around for the bonus material. You can download that at grantbalden.com slash podcast, or you can go directly to grantbalden.com slash Whitney English. So let's get right into this interview with my friend, Whitney English. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by my friend Whitney English, who is a all-around cool girl and, and serial entrepreneur who's had her hand in a bunch of different businesses. Excited to get into her story and journey today. So, Whitney, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm good. How are you? Doing delightful. I was just trying to peer pressure you. We, we met a couple weeks ago or so at an event here in Nashville that you happen to be in town for with our uh, mutual friend, Jeff Goins. And so I was trying to peer pressure you to move to Nashville, but I don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah, you're not the only person trying to peer pressure me into moving to Nashville. There are a lot of cool people there right now. <laughs> we're trying, we're trying. All right. So you've been a serial entrepreneur. You've got your hand in a bunch of different things, but how would you describe what it is that you do? Currently, I do two things. I run a company called Day Designer. That um, Day Designer is a planner for personal productivity. And then I also do coaching and mentorship for entrepreneurs. I'm actually right in the middle of launching my first e-course. By the time um, this airs, I think that will actually be closed and actually in the course, but trying to do that for the first time to really get that um, consulting business side off the ground. What kind of consulting, like with individuals or with businesses, small businesses? What kind of stuff? Both, both with individuals and small businesses. I think my strength is seeing the big picture. And so I think a lot of times we're too close to it as entrepreneurs and we can't really see what our next move needs to be or we can't really see where we are. And I try to use some of my perspective and my experience to help people say, um, see where they are and figure out where they can go next, how they can make the next right move. And tell me about the other arm of, of the business, the, the day designer. What exactly is that? Day designer is a planner. I started developing it in 2010, and we actually launched it in summer of 2012. And really, it was a product that solved my own problems. I needed a planner to... I'm kind of a naturally disorganized person as a creative, and I needed something to keep me organized and on schedule and on task. And it was a product that I developed that solved a problem for me. And in the course of... you know, They say necessity is the mother of invention. And in the course of really changing my life, 
it turned out it was changing other people's lives as well when I started selling it. And it's really grown. It's been sort of an exciting adventure. I really enjoyed it. It seems like such a, a common theme with so many entrepreneurs of people that are like, I'm looking for this business idea, but then I decide to create something or a product or service to scratch my own itch. But it ends up being the itch that a lot of other people happen to have. Sounds like that's kind of what happened with you. It is. But I think the problem with all that itch is that as an entrepreneur and as a creative, I have a lot of itches and I'd like to scratch (laughs) all of them and I can only scratch one at a time. (laughs) That is a interesting and disturbing analogy, but I could, I could, that totally makes sense. It sounds like some type of disease and maybe it is that uh, many, many of us may have. Right, an entrepreneurial rash. <laughs> exactly. We should coin that. There, I think there's something there's something disturbingly interesting there. Right, right. Uh, so tell us more about your journey. So did you grow up in like an entrepreneurial family? I grew up with parents that were both creative. My dad was an engineer, electrical engineer and computer engineer. And I was introduced to computers at a, a very early age, um, especially for um, where they were in the marketplace, you know, before people had personal computers. Um, we had stuff like that in our home. And my mom is a decorator and was a creative um, and did a really good job teaching me and my sister how to think outside the box growing up. And while my parents were not entrepreneurs while I was growing up, my dad was actually employed. They they both are now. My dad owns a car wash and runs that and is oh. successful in that. And my mom's an interior designer now. So Did you always want to do your own thing? Yes. I can remember very early on, my dad would talk to me about different things that I could do. I mean, it was always kind of funny, but I remember one time we made jars of salsa and took them around to neighbors and put labels on them and stuff. And my dad was like, Whitney, you know, you could make salsa one of these days and sell it to people. And (laughs) we had a lot of those conversations growing up. When you're going like door to door and and selling salsa, was it immediately, and and, you know, maybe not necessarily the salsa itself, but for, for just the idea of making something, creating it your own thing and selling it, was it an immediately just resonates with you? Like, ah, this is kind of cool. I get to kind of control my own destiny. I get to make salsa. People actually interested in it. It's kind of, kind of a cool little thing. Or is it more just like, "Eh, you know, I'm a kid. (laughs) If someone pays me a couple bucks, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I think as a kid, and I really was, I mean, it was probably seven or nine or something. I think I didn't know what I was being introduced to at the time, this concept of you could do your own thing. But I mean, very subtly, that's what it was. And so I grew up without, you know, I was also raised you know, you go to college, get a nice steady job. My parents weren't shoving me one direction or the other. I I saw both, both options and both spectrums, but there was always that seed that my dad was planting that, you know, you could do this and it could, it could be cool. And when I started my first business, I was only, um, 22 years old and my dad saw my income from the first year. I, I did $10,000 in the first three months in sales. And in the first full year of sales, I did 65. So we started in August. Um, so that, that first little year was 10 and then the next big year was 65. And he, he looks at me, he goes, Whitney, he said, don't worry about getting married. He goes, you're going to be able to make a living. (laughs) (laughs) And I followed that advice for almost a decade. (laughs) Interesting. What was that first business that you did? That was a wholesale stationery business. I had worked at a stationery store since I was 15 years old. I'm not sure it was legal for me to work at age 15, but you know, my parents definitely taught me work ethic. And so I was also babysitting from a very young age. And I, um, anyway, I worked at the stationery store and I knew by the time I was out of college, I was still working there sometimes part-time off and on. I knew that industry and September 11th and my degree was in interior design and there really wasn't an opportunity to 
go into that field, that market kind of dried up right after September 11th. And so I said, well, what do I know? And I knew that paper industry and I launched a wholesale stationary business doing that. Were you already out of college and had your interior design degree whenever September 11th happened? I was. So, I mean, was it an immediate thing of going like, you know, I'm just kind of like looking ahead, looking down the road, and I don't see this working out? Or how soon were you starting to realize like maybe I need to make a pivot? I graduated in May 2001. September 11th happened in that, that fall. And I realized I needed to pivot by the following May. So the business was officially started in August of 2002. How do you make that decision of knowing when to make an adjustment based on like based on like the economy or just like circumstances like outside of your control? When especially I got to assume that when you're going down that path, you've put in the years and years and years to get this degree. You're out for just literally a couple months, and something happens in the world. Again, in this case, it was this you know horrible mm-hmm. tragic event, but it could be anything related to the stock market or economy or just this mm-hmm. the cultural winds of they're just shifting, and all of a sudden that thing that you went to school for that you put all this time into no longer is as needed as it was before. How do you decide when to pull the plug and start to, to make a big shift? I've started a lot of businesses in my day and age, but I have two that I call really successful. That first one, which doesn't exist anymore and failed. We can talk about that later if you want to. If you don't want to, totally fine with me. And then Day Designer that I'm running right now. In both of those situations, I think an interesting parallel is that they were both started at a time in my life when I was basically at rock bottom. I mean, there was no other choice. It didn't matter if I had a degree in interior design. It wasn't going to work. You know, so it really wasn't a choice as I guess some people could have said, I'm just going to hang on to this interior design degree and I'm going to try to use this, you know, come hell or high water. I mean, that just wasn't a good choice. That ship wasn't sailing. So I think that's the interesting thing about being rock bottom is it's a great place to start a business because you've got nowhere to go but up. And sometimes that up can be really, really, really far up. That's true. Like, but it's also at the same time, you know, starting a business, as you know, can be risky and it can, Mm -hmm. you know, it may not work out. So is it worth taking that risk when you're at the bottom? And like, I thought I was at the bottom, but maybe I could dig myself a little deeper hole. So how do you know if it's the right time to start a business? I'm a big fan of the question, what's the worst thing that could happen? And if you're asking yourself that question and it can't get any worse, you are definitely at the right time to start a business. (laughs) If you can't imagine it getting worse, I would tell you to proceed with caution. But but both times in my life, I mean, the first time I started a business, there was very little risk. I didn't have a family. I wasn't married. I was living at, with my parents, you know, which is also a great time to start a business. If anybody's young and out there listening to this, um, do it while you don't have any overhead, for sure. You definitely have a lot less to lose at that point. The second time we started it, my husband and I had just been through my business failure and some other different issues personally as well. And it was pretty hard to imagine it it getting any worse than it already was. So yeah, I realize it's hard. I also believe in surrounding yourself with people who can help you see through that. So definitely don't try to do it alone. If you're taking a big risk, I would seek, I would seek counsel or mentorship or just, you know, there's tons of internet entrepreneurs out there and a lot of them would probably be willing to reply to an email. You know, if you just emailed somebody and said, I'm thinking about doing this. Is this a good idea or a bad idea? I think that would be a really good question to ask somebody that had more experience than whatever point you are. I think you bring up a good point there that like when you're at rock bottom, it it is kind of a good time to try something if you don't have anything else to lose. And you're like, well, I mean, 
the worst that could happen is I'm I could have to move in with my parents and I'm already living with them. So it's going right. to be, you know, it's going to be okay either way. And it's interesting, you know, there's so many so many people that we've talked to on the show who like their turning moment was some type of rock bottom thing. So uh, they just lost a job, they were laid off, they were fired, something along those lines. Or they or their spouse were pregnant with their first child. And it's just like that. I, I know that's what it was for me, was that eye-opening experience like, okay, we got to figure some stuff out really quick because we're getting ready to bring a child into the world and everything changes. So, all right. So I'm wondering though, like when life is okay and things are going good, or even like for a lot of people that we, uh, you know, who reach out to me, who listen to the show are like, you know, I don't hate my job. I don't love my job. And I'm just kind of going through the motions. Is there any way to like... I don't think either of us would like recommend to like create disaster in life in order to, you know, put yourself in this position where you have to start a business or do something different. But how do you get out of that just going through the motions and you're just kind of in this place of mediocrity? How do you get out of that rut to do something different without having to create a disaster? Yeah. I think I've been known to create disaster to (laughs) inspire change, but the choices we make today determine the life that we're going to be living six months from now. So if you're going to a job that you love, you know, getting up every morning and continuing to go to that job isn't going to get you in a different place in life. And I'm not saying that the right decision to do is to up and quit, but I do subscribe to a very cautious, you know, like fruit basket turnover, like just throw it all up in the, in the air and see where stuff lands, see what sticks. I think I heard somebody speak one time and they said, people don't hate change. You know, everybody says, I hate change. I hate change. And I can't remember the speaker's name, but he said, you know, Obama was elected on change. We love change. We hate transition. Mm -hmm. And so I think if people are stuck in that spot in life where you don't like the job that you're going to, you're not afraid of leaving that job. You're afraid of the struggle that's going to happen between leaving the job and getting to where you want to go. But the struggle is part of the story. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Donald Miller and he teaches the story brand workshop and one of the things that he teaches in that is is in life and in business, a good story involves overcoming obstacles. And I think part of that obstacle is the struggle. And if we want to live a better story or get to a better spot in life, we're going to have to go through that. We can't go around it. We can't avoid it. So choosing to just kind of stay where you are and, and avoid the pain is almost worse in my mind than just diving straight into it and saying, I'm going to deal with this and get it over with to get to where I want to go. The struggle is part of the story. That is tweetable right there. That is gold. Well, that's so true. The different crises that happen in life, in the moment, you know, they, they just look horrendous and horrible. But, you know, hindsight later, you're like, man, that you know, worked out okay. And I'm, and if that hadn't happened, then maybe I wouldn't be in this new situation or spot that I'm in today. So let's backtrack a little bit because you kind of alluded to, you said you've had two successful businesses. The first one failed. What was that business? What happened there? That was the stationary business. I ran it for 10 years and it was very successful for nine of those 10 years. But Sort of at the end of things, we had a bankruptcy rollback and hit us from one of our customers. There was a major technology shift. Shutterfly came in from one side of the space. Etsy came in from the other side of the space and basically caused our main revenue stream and main product to become obsolete. So it was definitely interesting. Also, the market crash of 2008, we never fully recovered from either. But lots of lessons learned on that one, for sure. Like, What'd you learn? What'd you come away with from that? Kill things early. Like if it's not working, rip off the Band-Aid fast. Don't keep going. Don't try to hang on to it. Back to the whole, if the job's not working, just quit. <laughs> I don't want anybody emailing me be like, I quit my job and I'm on unemployment. And <laughs> I, did, I did what you said, Whitney. Now what? Right. But 
you know, there's a good life out there for the people that are willing to go after it. That's what I believe on that one. So I learned that kill things quickly. Be careful who you listen to. I got good advice during those years of business. I got bad advice. Most of the time, my gut instinct would tell me when it was bad advice. I think you know more than you think you do. And so I think maintaining an attitude, like a balance of confidence and humility, like letting ego take the reins is never going to get you anywhere. But, you know, maintaining a teachable spirit so that you can grow and change and let things evolve. Another thing that's still hard for me, even in my current business, is once you develop a customer base, they start to expect certain things from you and it gives you less room as a brand and a product to evolve. And so just learning how to balance that, listen to your customers, learn from them, but then constantly be seeking innovation so that you're you're constantly bettering your brand and your product and your company. After that stationary <laughs> business, after you close the doors on that, what were those next few months like for you? Those were really, really dark months. We actually filed bankruptcy on that company, which was a huge learning experience in and of itself. And my daughter had just been born. So I was at home alone with three kids under the age of three for a couple weeks and then three kids under the age of four for a while. And my husband was working three jobs. I was basically working three jobs. One of the, I used consulting money to kind of carry us over in the interim, but one of those jobs was actually closing a company. It was almost a full-time job to finish out all the paperwork and everything on that. So that was very discouraging to not actually have any revenue coming in on that. Yeah, it was a pretty, pretty dark time. So how do you pick up the pieces from all of that and start something again? I assume it's it's similar Mm -hmm. to like riding a bike, you know, you fall Mm -hmm. and you're just the next time you're going to be a little more skittish to get on the bike or to get back on the horse. So what's Mm -hmm. that like next time around when you're trying to start something and in the back of your mind, you're like, I assume you, do you still have uh, back then? Did you have the voices of like, well, it's probably going to fail again. So like, who do you think you are to try this? And what kind of voices are rattling around in your own mind? Yeah, there is definitely this voice that said, you know, Whitney, you built a seven-figure company one time, you're a fluke. You're a flash in the pan. There was a voice that challenged that that said, but were it, was it a fluke? Was it an accident? Or, or maybe, Whitney, maybe you really do have what it takes. And maybe you should jump back on that horse and see if you can jump back on the bike and see if you can do it again. I mean, I think the voices still kind of rattle. I still find myself on certain discouraging moments at the end of a long day or something going, Am I doing what I need to be doing? Am I doing, am I, do I have what it takes? And I've definitely surrounded myself with a lot more guides. I have a financial advisor and I talk to once a week. A lot of people I'm relying on for guidance this time around that, that maybe I didn't even know I needed the first time. So you mentioned the financial advisor. What other advisors do you have in your life? Or I'm thinking for someone that maybe listening to this who's going, okay, I'm at the beginning of my business or I'm starting something or it's, we're starting to get some traction. I'm trying to figure out like what people do I need in my corner to make sure that I do have enough voices that I can listen to that are the right voices that keep me on track and don't keep me from from making decisions or repeating the past? Yeah. I mean, I think it's great to have a therapist on call <laughs> um, or a counselor or something, financial advisor, legal counsel. Frankly, just making sure I go to church once a week and just make sure I've got that kind of as a checkpoint in my week is really important. Even if I don't want to go, I just it's important to keep that checkpoint there. Making sure that I stay healthy um, so having a trainer or being disciplined about going to the gym or for a run or something like that. And then surrounding myself with people. I don't actually have any employees right now, but I do have 
freelancers and independent contractors that are experts in their field. And I'm always on the lookout for other people that are really good at what they're doing. I have a friend right now who is an event planner. She plans weddings, but she is great at, you know, just coordinating things like that. And I called her and I said, well, I need your help coordinating some stuff for day designer right now. And she's, she's absolutely running with it. So her, the skill set transferred and I saw it and she saw it and it's a match made in heaven. So I'm always on the lookout for people like that too. And I happen to be related to an excellent designer. Yes, yes. <laughs> Kelsey Baldwin is definitely, she's helping me with some design stuff for that. And she's been awesome. She does all of my design stuff. So I always tell people, if anything looks good, it's, it's entirely her fault. I had nothing to do with it. Love that, yeah. But one of the things I like there, that as you're kind of talking about the people in your world there, a lot of the people that you mentioned have nothing to do with your business. So having someone that, having a trainer, having a, maybe even a therapist, just someone that to just talk to someone just keeping you accountable just to make sure you go to church like some of that's just like completely non-business related and some of it's just like i need people in my life that just help me to just be a healthy whole like normal sane person right yeah for sure because it seems like when you're building something when you're starting something when you're growing something it can be easy for that thing to take over your life and at the end of the day you know yes you're an entrepreneur but you're also a mom and a wife and a human being so for you how do you keep that balance between the two worlds? Well, first of all, I make sure that the people I do work with know that my kids are my priority. My husband is very supportive. On the flip side of that coin, my husband's very supportive of my entrepreneurial ventures. He knows that's part of my DNA and he lets me be my own person. And I'm so grateful for him to let me do that. I actually spend a lot of time during the day. I do have a sitter that helps with my kids. We are um, making some changes in our personal lives and She's actually not going to be with us for very much longer, but it's been a necessity up until this point to have someone who's, especially with three kids, I mean, maybe with one kid, you can, you know, give them a box of crayons and, and kind of keep doing something. But with three, there's just, there's no way they start hitting each other and screaming. And then before you know it, there's juice everywhere. And I mean, I've really just kind of had to learn to, there's a boundary there. I can't do mom stuff and entrepreneur stuff at the same time. If my computer is open and my kids are in the room, the outcome is not going to be pretty. I'm going to end up frustrated. They're going to end up unhappy. And so just making sure that people around me know that and then carving out time specifically for business activities and using it really well. And then just being focused on family whenever it's family time. I think that's the only way to do it. Good stuff. You kind of alluded to earlier that you've started a bunch of different businesses. You said you've had two that have been successful. What have been some of the other businesses that you've tried that, that haven't worked? So my husband and I have done rental properties. We've owned commercial property before. Each of those things is its own LLC. I've done retail, direct-to-consumer online. I actually, for a really brief year, owned multi-level marketing stationary business that we sold, done some licensing that, you know, had um, a couple of businesses that did some licensing and things like that. So quite a spectrum. The only thing I haven't done is actually own a physical brick and mortar store. I decided after working at the stationery store growing up that that was something I didn't want. Working Saturdays was not something I ever wanted to do. Yeah. So. so all of those that you just rattled off, you would consider as failures? Not failures, but I, that neither, none of them None of them took off the point to, I would actually say, provide cash flow for our family. So not failures, but not real revenue streams. They all probably broke even or were a little bit of money here or there, but nothing sustainable. 
let's take some of that and let's circle all the way back to what we talked about at the beginning, the the entrepreneurial rash that we discussed. What do you do in that spot where you've got a bunch of different things that you're interested in, a bunch of different directions that you could go, a bunch that seem like they're all viable, realistic options. And in your case, you've tried a bunch of them and some have worked and some you know, haven't worked as well. So how do you know which direction to go when you've got a bunch of different, you know, similar or competing interests? Right. Well, my husband has a rule for me and it's you can't start one company before you sell another one. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually kind of a theme that comes from Michael Gerber's book, The E-Myth, where yep. he talks about looking at your business as an asset that you can sell instead of the product. And so I think it's very smart as an entrepreneur if you're starting a business to make sure that you're building it so that it's turnkey so that you can hand the keys to someone if anybody ever comes along and wants to buy a company. I think that's a very smart way to grow your business. And, and frankly, it's something I'd like to do. I've got a lot of other ideas I'd like to try my hand at. And I hope I get to do that at some point in time in my life. But but there's also the point of stewardship and that's responsibility and taking care of the thing that you've started or birthed and you know making sure that you're running it responsibly. So learned a lot about that in the course of my experience as well. So I think focus is important. Trying one thing, trying the most viable. If you're an entrepreneur and you're on the fence about which idea to chase after, what's the most viable idea? Jeff Goines, a friend of ours, mutual friend of ours, he talks about that intersection of competency and demand and passion. You know, what are you most interested in? What can you actually fulfill? And what is the market asking for? And if you have a bunch of ideas, I would look to see which one fits best in that intersection. I'd try that first. Cool. Good stuff. Now, to wrap up, I've got a couple other questions we're going to save for the the bonus round. But in the meantime, where can we send people? Where can people find out more about you, who you are? If people want to check out Day Designer, where all can they go? Yes. So I run my consulting business for entrepreneurs from WhitneyEnglish.com. And Day Designer Planners and everything related to Day Designer Planners can be found at DayDesigner.com. Cool. And now you also at the beginning, you alluded to a, uh, an e-course that you guys are, that'll be out by the time this, or that can be, I guess, closed by the time this is out. But just tell us more about the, what, if people are, are interested in saying, all right, I'm interested in maybe working with Whitney. Where can we get more info on that e-course? Yeah, that would be at WhitneyEnglish.com. And it's definitely been something that I've been working on for a long time. I've poured my heart into it, did a little test round of it last year, got some feedback, have, have gone back to the drawing board on it to make it even better and stronger. And and so if anybody wants any information on that, the best place to start is WhitneyEnglish.com. Awesome. We'll be sure and send people there. So thanks. Whitney, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. We've got a couple other questions for you. So I'd encourage everyone to stick around and download the uh, the bonus material. You can do that at grantbolden.com slash podcast or by going directly to grantbolden.com slash Whitney English. And uh, we'll continue the conversation over there. So we'll see you over there in the uh, the bonus round. Sound good? Sounds good. All right, there you go, my friends. Hope you enjoyed that chit-chat with my buddy Whitney English. Really good stuff there from Whitney. Again, like I mentioned at the top of the show, make sure that if you enjoyed that, that you download the bonus material. So if you you enjoyed the conversation, the chat that I had with uh, Whitney, that you're like, hey, I want a few more minutes. We also talk about some action steps, some now what's. What are some of those next action steps that you need to take? I just merged next steps and action steps together and created my own little thing there. But download that at grantbalden.com. We'd love for you to stop by and check that out 
out. All right. I think that wraps up today's episode, boys and girls. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Really do appreciate it. As always, feel free to email me, grant at grantbaldwin.com. Let me know what you're chewing on, wrestling with, pondering. Let me know what I can do to help you and support you. Also, feel free to leave us a voicemail. If you would like your question answered on the show, you can do that by going to grantbaldwin.com slash ask. Again, that's grantbaldwin.com slash ask. Would love to hear from you and feature your question on an upcoming episode of the show. That'll do. Catch you next time. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.